the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. February 5th, 2021. Now comes the absurdity and virtue victimhood. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib took the House floor yesterday to cry, so much so that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had to bring her Kleenex tissues as she stood next to her. Because of she was crying because of how scared she was of the January 6th riots, though she was not there. She said, quote, so what happened on January 6th? All I could do was thank Allah that I wasn't there. I have to tell you the trauma from just being here, existing as a Muslima, is so hard. But imagine my team, she said, as she described her diverse staff. I worry every day for their lives because of this rhetoric. I never thought that they would feel unsafe here, close quote. She ended by asking her colleagues not to diminish the importance of what happened during the Capitol riots. Quote, please, please take what happened on January 6th seriously. It will lead to more death and we can do better. We must do better, close quote. This from a woman who in 2016 had to be escorted out by security of a Donald Trump speech in Detroit as she was screaming at the audience, you are all crazy, to a speech at the Detroit Economic Club because they were listening to Donald Trump. Police had to escort her out. There is video you can see of her jumping, physically jumping around and screaming at the audience and then bystanders. This from the woman who said the Holocaust gave her a calming feeling because her people, Palestinians, sacrificed for the Jews. Her people, the Palestinians who sided, of course, and worked with, of course, Adolf Hitler. Go ahead, look it up, and make sure to Google Hitler and the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. Her people who slaughtered Jews wherever they could before there ever was an Israel. Go ahead, look it up, and make sure to Google the slaughter of Jews in Hebron, in the 1920s and the anti-Jewish pogroms beginning in the 1930s. This from the Roman who wrapped herself in a foreign flag on the night of her election, unlike any member of Congress I can think of in history, the foreign flag in this case being the Palestinian flag of Fatah, Yasser Arafat's organization. This from the woman who on her election night yelled, we're going to impeach the M, you know what, but yes, tears now from January sixth from the January sixth event that still rattles her. Again, though she was not there. Model of decorum, civility, and fear from being victimized she is. As far as I'm concerned, she can stuff it. She tells us, quote, please, please take what happened on January sixth seriously. It will lead to more death. Close quote. Tell me who hasn't taken it seriously, and what more death will it lead to? The triumph of emotion and my truth and the therapeutic will be our undoing, and it will be the undoing of a country that doesn't take it seriously. We used to laugh and mock the notion of 
If it feels good, do it. But the truth is, feelings have triumphed here lately. Perhaps that is why some cannot understand why some of us ourselves cannot summon what it takes to simply utter words as simple as Black Lives Matter, because it's not so simple. We know what underlies it. They who are unschooled in the BLM Marxist basis and agenda just think it's a kind and respectful thing to say, but we know what underlies it, in fact, that it is a Marxist-based agenda. Of course, the problem is to them that we don't care. But may I ask you to think back to the Cold War moment, if you will? Do you recall college or college-age experiences and protests against the military or the work of Ronald Reagan? I do. The left put us as the aggressor because we thought there was something worth defending and fighting for. Why not just trust the Soviets? Why not just leave them alone, we were told? The answer was, of course, that they would not leave freedom-loving people or countries alone. And while they promised a worker's paradise, heaven on earth, if you will, the facts showed differently. It may not have felt good that we had to fight or defend with rough men ready to commit violence if needs be, as John Stuart Mill put it. But we knew Jimmy Carter was wrong and spoke something very wrong when, as president at Notre Dame University, he said that we must get over our, quote-unquote, inordinate fear of communism. You see analogs today, be they with China or Iran. Why not just trust them, leave them alone, and in the words of Barack Obama, stop hating on them. You know, trust those who engage in present-day slavery and genocide. You know, trust those who, as Amnesty International puts it, routinely engage in torture and lashings and persecutions of dissidents against all international norms of human rights. The interesting thing of how strong Jimmy Carter's notion was back then when he was president, lecturing us we should get over our fear, our inordinate fear of communism, is he was ahead of his time. Fear, of course, being an emotion or feeling. But damn it, there were the facts, the invasions of other countries, the crushing of human freedom from religion to commerce. And we knew, too, then, as we know today, that just because one says something is the truth or uses the word pravda, Russian for truth, it doesn't mean it is the truth. By the way, you know who didn't have an inordinate fear of communism, who had an ordinate fear? Those who lived under it. Not the nomenclatura. For them, it was all very good. So we live in an age of politics dominated, again, by the triumph of the therapeutic, where emotion and feelings mean more than facts and rationality. We see a few minutes of a video of something that doesn't look right, and we rush to judgment. We know the facts will come out, probably inconvenient facts, perhaps, but facts, while still many will want to live and prefer to live in the illusion. But it is this very illusion that has kept tyrannical societies alive, just as it is illusion that keeps the left animated today. Compassion always comes easier than comprehension, as Gene Kirkpatrick once wrote it. A feeling will always come easier than a serious thought. And what we are in, to borrow from Dr. Kirkpatrick again, is a political melodrama staged daily for credulous viewing audiences whose sympathies are quicker than their synapses. CNN thrives on this. 
as much as propagandists in the socialist movement in America or abroad do. And let us not forget Rashida Tlaib is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. Does anybody ever ask why some Democrats are members of an organization called Democratic Socialists of America? Why not just be Democrats and have nothing to do with socialism? I think it means something. Evidently, very few others do. Does it matter that the Democratic Socialists of America have a banner of and make a point of celebrating Karl Marx's birthday every year? I do. Evidently, too many do not. I was reminded of something in thinking about this, that the Chicago Teachers Union, much in the news today, but last August, had a day of protest co-sponsored by the Democratic Socialists of America. They were working hand-in-hand, the union and the DSA. One also has to wonder about how fast things have changed in this country, where so many professionals in education, in the care of our children and our culture, would feel and think so brazenly as to just put it right out there in the shop window that they, A, are comfortable with, and B, working hand-in-hand with an avowedly socialist organization, indeed the Socialist Organization of America. The DSA is not shy about what it believes either, including from their website, the abolition of private enterprise, and also something very familiar to those who know something about the main plank or one of the main planks in the BLM movement. As the Democratic Socialists puts it, they stand for, quote, restructuring gender and culture relationships to be more equitable, close quote. It's always that damned family structure in America that gets in the way of revolution, isn't it? BLM puts it this way, quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents and children are comfortable, close quote. Again, never fathers. Where does this come from? In the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx goes right into it, writing, quote, On what foundation is the present family, the bourgeois family, based? On capital, on private gain. In its completely developed form, this family exists only among the bourgeois. Remember, the bourgeois was the enemy against who the revolution had to attack. Frederick Engels himself, Karl Marx's co-author, wrote his own book, a whole book, on the need for dismantling the Western family structure. But note now what happens if you question Rashida Tlaib or the woman who brought her Kleenex tissues who also seems to have some troubles with the truth of her experience on January 6th, Alexandria Cortez. If you question them, you are not just wrong. You aren't even a hater anymore. You are as guilty as the rioters and not just for rioting, but for attempted murder. Worse than the rioters. That is, after all, What AOC said to Ted Cruz, she tweeted that, quote, he tried to kill her. That is, after all, what Rashida Tlaib said yesterday, too. More people will die, were her words. Do keep in mind, just for a moment, we don't know how one of the five who died on January 6th did die. He was the innocent and certainly brave Capitol policeman, but we still don't know how he died. The other four were part and parcel of the riot. Again, not innocent bystanders, but never mind that. The attempted murder is ongoing, continuing, and from Republicans 
and against Rashida and Alexandria. You may know, I think, one of the great forgotten philosophers of our age is one Robert Jackson, Supreme Court Justice, prosecutor at Nuremberg. And today, just now, I think his words more important than ever. I conclude with them, quote, Struggles to coerce uniformity of sentiment in support of some end thought essential to their time and country have been waged by many good as well as by many evil men. Ultimate futility of such attempts to compel coherence is the lesson of such every effort from the Roman drive to stamp out Christianity as a disturber of its pagan unity, the Inquisition as a means to religious and dynastic unity, the Siberian exiles as a mean to Russian unity, down to the fast-failing efforts of our present totalitarian enemies. Those who begin coercive elimination of dissent soon find themselves eliminating dissenters. Compulsory unification of consent achieves only the unanimity of the graveyard. It seems trite, but necessary to say that the First Amendment to our Constitution, was designed to avoid these ends by avoiding these beginnings. There is no mysticism in the American concept of the state or of the nature or origin of its authority. We set up government by consent of the governed, and the Bill of Rights denies those in power any legal opportunity to coerce that consent. Close quote. In short, be not afraid. If they can speak their truth, we can speak the truth. Hell, if it helps, we can even call the truth our truth. But let's not let the therapeutic triumph, because feelings can be very wrong, just as Rashida Tlaib and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are very, very wrong. Do not let them win, or I probably should say triumph. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Open lines Friday. Anything you want to talk about, I can do anything you want. Just no medical advice, no tax advice, and there's one other, no legal advice. 602-508-0960. Portions of this show are brought to you to my favorite, by my favorite product, Balance of Nature. Ten servings of fruits and vegetables without having to eat the way my producer Bill eats. All natural vine-ripened fruits and veggies picked at the peak of ripeness, reduced into vegetarian capsules using their unique cold press process. And, man, it's potent, powerful, good, strong stuff to boost your health, energy, and immunity. I take it every single day. And they make it easy for you to do so, too, with a great special of free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or check them out at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. <clears throat> I want to stay a few more moments on this um, Rashida Tlaib attitude that I talked about in my monologue about feelings over facts and uh, therapy over truth. Uh a few years ago, Adam Carolla testified to the House of Representatives on where this came from, and I think he's totally right. Do you have this available, Maestro? 
Yes, Mr. Carolla, you're recognized for five minutes. Uh, thank you. It's an honor to be asked uh, to speak in front of you all. Uh, first, just a quick piece of business. Do we get to keep these pads? <laughs> this is going to be huge. <laughs> and uh, not that I'm going to, but what do you reckon they'll get on eBay? <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm going to. I'm just it's pure yeah. curiosity. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I'm not as eloquent as uh, Mr. Shapiro. I sort of speak in uh, beats and um, off the top of my head. And I've written a few uh, down for you all today. Uh, first off, I come from a, a very blue-collar background. I grew up in uh, North Hollywood, California. Uh, my dad was a, a school teacher, and my mom received uh, welfare and food stamps and uh, told me very importantly when I was young, when I asked her if she would get a job, she said, and lose my welfare benefits, no thank you, that, which uh, taught me a very valuable lesson, which was uh, never to listen to my mom. All right. <laughs> Uh, I ended up being a carpenter and then a, a boxing instructor and met Jimmy Kimmel when I taught him to box for a uh, morning zoo stunt and eventually made my way onto uh, TV and radio. Uh, in the early days of my career, I toured the country with Dr. Drew when we are on Loveline together, a syndicated radio program also on MTV, and we must have played a hundred college campuses with uh, nary a word of negativity and no safe spaces and no stuffed animals being handed out, simply went there, said our piece, many controversial ideas were exchanged and that's just what they were, exchanged and then we got our paychecks and went home and 15 years later I went out with uh, Dennis Prager, conservative talk show host, and attempted to do a show at uh, Cal State Northridge, where my mother was an actual graduate from with a Chicano Studies degree, believe it or not. So she's rolling in dough about now. <laughs> uh, and uh, they pulled the plug on it. They gave us no good reason why we couldn't speak there, and we actually had to get attorneys involved to go back and speak at a later date. Um, we're talking a lot about the kids, and I think they're just that, kids. We are the adults, and I don't think we are doing the children. I mean, these are 18- and 19-year-old kids that are at these college campuses. They grew up dipped in Purell, playing soccer games where they never kept score and watching Wah Wah Wubsy, and we're asking them to be mature. We need the adults to start being the adults. Um, studies have shown that if you take people and you put them in a zero-gravity environment, like astronauts, they lose muscle mass, they lose bone density. We're taking these kids in the name of protection, we're putting them in a zero-gravity environment, and they're losing muscle mass and bone density. They need to live in a world that has gravity. When you, you need to expose your children to germs and dirt in the environment to build up their immune system. Our plan is put them in a bubble, keep them away from everything, and somehow they'll come out stronger when they emerge from the bubble. Well, that's not happening. Children are the future, but we are the present, and we're the adults, and we need to act like it. And I feel that um, what's going on on these campuses is it, we need law and order. We need to bring back law and order, but I think if we just had order, we wouldn't need law. So could we just bring back order and could the faculty and administration on these campuses 
act like faculty and administration. Bingo, bingo. In the name of protection. So we are protecting people from ideas. We are protecting them from truth. We are creating not just an environment where we scrub our politics of ideas that upset people's feelings. But think about what he said in the larger context three years before COVID came here. Think about what we have done to our society and how we have, in his words, lost muscle mass, lost bone density. We have been put in a zero-gravity environment where we are no longer exposed to anything harmful whatsoever, and we crawl up and roll into a ball. Politicians do it, and too many Americans have done it. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960, your show today. Uh, uh, Just one more set of points on that Corolla emotion protection issue, because I think the other person who got it exactly right is the former governor of Missouri, a man named Eric Greitens, whose children, young children, uh, sons, were in a school district that – that cut the book, that banned the book To Kill a Mockingbird, same time Adam Carolla was testifying to Congress, so this was about two, three years ago. And who knew they were still banning books? Well, they are again, of course, and we're going to talk about that too some today at the higher education levels. But in Missouri, they banned To Kill a Mockingbird in this school district, and he wrote this open letter to his uh, two sons a few days ago. A school district cut the book from its curriculum because some words in it make people uncomfortable. That's what the librarian said, make people uncomfortable. He goes on, I read those words once. They made me uncomfortable. They were words you don't use. Your grandparents taught me and your mom taught me that. They also explained the difference between reading words on a page and using them yourself. Boys, I want you to read To Kill a Mockingbird. It's beautiful. It's moving. It's full of wisdom. And yes, some words in it will make you uncomfortable. When they do, your mom and I will talk to you about them. Part of the wisdom of the book is how the characters respond to those troubling words. But you can't appreciate their actions without feeling the discomfort. The author wanted you to wince. That kind of discomfort is how you grow. You should read books that stop you in your tracks. Your coaches should make you sweat and put you through pain. Your teachers should push and challenge you. My best teachers used a lot of red ink. To the extent I do some things well, it's because they pointed out the things I did wrong. Sure, it didn't always feel good, but they were right to correct me. They were right to worry about deepening my learning more than damaging my ego. There's wisdom in all that red ink. Our culture forgets this. It's a culture that, out of concern, will try to shield you. 
you'll get trophies for showing up. Your teachers will fret about giving you a bad grade. You'll get told not to read books because they contain a few bad words. If you're not careful, you'll end up encased in bubble wrap. Don't let that happen. Remember, a culture of banned books leads to a culture of brittle people. If you avoid what might offend or bother you, you'll also miss out on things that will stretch and strengthen you. Discomfort is the warm-up act to growth. I can tell you this much. In our house, we're going to read To Kill a Mockingbird. It might make you uncomfortable, and that's the point. Love, Dad. Well, how good is that? How right is that? Have we not encased ourselves not just our kids, but now too many of our young adults, even our political leaders, in, as he says, bubble wrap, dipped in Purell and encased in bubble wrap, if I can combine what Adam and Eric both wrote. A culture that tries to shield you is a culture that creates brittle people. Big tech is trying to shield you. Social media is trying to shield you. The Democrats, in talking about domestic violent extremism without defining it and targeting you-know-who, is trying to shield you. It's a brutal culture now. A very brutal culture. Think about what a disease with a 99-point, you-name-it, survival rate has done to this country. We went from let's roll to let's roll up in a ball mighty fast and mighty easily. And now we talk about spending trillions to get us out of that hole. There are not trillions enough to get us out of the hole we dug. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. I also talked about the Chicago Teachers Unions this morning, uh, excuse me, in my monologue this morning, uh, Bill Bennett, former Secretary of Education, was on Fox talking about it and the ongoing dispute between the, um, I guess you would say, between the White House and the CDC. Uh, they played for Dr. Bennett, Jen Psaki's, uh contradiction of the new uh, CDC director, Rachel, Rochelle Walensky. She said um, students should be going back to school. Teachers do not need to be vaccinated for the schools to reopen. And uh, Jen Psaki, laughingly to me, but evidently not to a lot of um, the media, said she was speaking in her personal capacity. I suppose if I ever say anything that is controversial here, you can just, Bill, just say I was just speaking in my personal capacity. Is that okay? Because she did have the CDC backdrop behind her when she was speaking, Rochelle did. Uh, this conversation was really good and I thought worth airing for you. I'm airing you some of the best of stuff today, audio. I thought this was a Friday where we needed to do some catch-up. Would you play this, please? Yeah, well, let's talk about the politics before the human cost. Uh, the politics are played. Here's Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago. This is not a Trump supporter. This is a liberal left-wing woman. 
And yet there is no support right. from the Democrat Party for her position. They are all backing the teachers' unions in an unconscionable and def- defenseless position that they're in. Uh, this is where the party is. And whether you're looking at this or immigration uh, or the energy issue, those who thought this was going to be a moderate uh, Democrat administration uh, are wrong. Now, let's look at the facts here. The human cost to these kids is incalculable. Books will be written. Papers will be presented. Part of a lost generation. Seventy-five percent of the kids in Chicago are black and Hispanic, many of them poor. I know the Chicago schools very well. These are the kids for whom school matters the most, uh, and they are being deprived of it. Socially, emotionally, academically, uh, they are really hurting and destroying these kids, to say nothing of what they're doing to their families. This is the Democrat Party of today. This is not the Democrat Party that, in part, favored school choice Mm -hmm. uh, and other things. This is the Democrat Party that backs a teacher's union against parents and kids. And and, uh, the first woman, a uh, black woman mayor of Chicago, as you pointed out, no support. Uh, yeah, can I ask yeah. you, there, there is some movement afoot. I just realized I wanted to get your take on this. Some people are suggesting that the students do, do a year over, like just start over, erase last year, start over. What do you think of that? Well, many of them will have to. I mean, the losses are, again, great. Uh, you lose it in math first. Uh, you know, after three, four, five months, uh, you lose it in math, but uh, the other subjects as well. But how are you going to do over the loss of social interaction, uh, the developmental uh, loss of these children, uh, the fact that they cannot see their friends, they cannot play, the emotional problems? you have any idea the numbers we're seeing in suicide increases among uh, high school kids, drug use increases? And what about the family problems, uh, problems of, uh, of abuse at home uh, because everybody's cooped up together? These kids need this social interaction, and they obviously need to learn how to read and write and count and think, which is what the schools are supposed to do. I think this could be, you guys, a revolutionary moment. I agree. And that when people figure out these are the people, these are the people who want to teach your kids, but they don't want to teach your kids. They rather have their own self-interest in front of them rather than the children. If they get them in the classroom, do you, do you want these people as the examples? Yep. Or do you want that lady from the Catholic schools uh, and her kind of approach? Uh, yeah, not amazing. arrogance, but humility yeah. before the task uh, of education. We just want to get you on one more uh, this point. This could bring about yeah. a, uh, major changes. This is Joe yeah. Biden talking about the science. Just roll this from the past couple of months. Watch. Yeah. We'll follow the science. We'll follow the science. Let me say that again. Let's end the politics and follow the science. If we follow the science and keep faith with one another, with one another, I promise you, we'll get through this and come out the other side much faster. Look, I think it's important to follow the science. Listen to the experts. Do what they tell you. So the, the experts in the science from CDC say it's okay to do it. Bill, you understand the system better than any because you're former education secretary. So you've got a bill in Congress that allots $170 billion to schools in America. The teachers' union is holding firm on this. The president has not come out and said, get back in the classroom. What is happening here if you pass that bill somewhere even close to $170 billion? What happens with that money? Well, first of all, you will have yielded to the politics of bribery, uh, which is exactly uh, what's going on. And I'm not so sure they won't have uh, more demands 
Uh, look at the budgets of the of the public schools in Chicago. Compare that to the budgets of the Catholic schools. And in terms of the science, uh, are we to believe that with Catholic baptism, you are also inoculated uh, from uh, COVID? Because uh, there are very, very few cases uh, in those schools. This is this defies everything. Defies common sense. Uh, defies science. And it defies common and expected morality. This is a travesty. Only the deepest kind of political commitment to the left uh, and the agenda of the left is what's driving this. And I'm afraid more to come uh, on other fronts. But first and foremost, the damage to these kids for whom school matters the most. These are the kids for whom going to school matters the most in so many ways. This is people should be going crazy on this. And I know those parents in Chicago are. And Lori Lightfoot is. Good for she her. Is. She deserves support. Bill yeah. Bennett, thank Listening you so much. to the scientists, Dr. Rochelle Walensky is a scientist. Jen Psaki is not. Joe Biden is not. You know who is? Because we're told she's a doctor. Jill Biden, the first lady. Where has she been? Where is this education expert? And where has she been today? Dr. Fauci reiterated and backed up what Rochelle Walensky said about not everyone needing to be vaccinated before you go back to the schools and reopen the schools. Again, listening now to two scientists. But really, I remember, whether it was the ladies on The View or the rest of the, frankly, journalist class talking about how great it will be to have a a doctor as the first lady, a doctorate in education, an EDD in education. Jill Biden, where has she been on this? Where has she been? Well, I'll tell you where she's been. She knows that she cannot speak against what Bill was talking about. Because as we said yesterday, who knew? Who knew that the strongest force in education were not the governors, were not the mayors, were not the school superintendents, were not the school boards, were not the curriculum committees, were not the PTAs, and were not the parents. They are the teachers' unions. And the smartest thing that was ever said about teachers' unions was said by the former head of the National Teachers' Union, Albert Schenker, who said clearly and convincingly, and you can see it today, when students start paying union dues, then they will be my chief concern. What's the point here? What's the point? The point is that it's not about the students. This is another point. It's not even about the science. It's about politics and bribery. The stuff that makes the world go round, politics, faith. Those are ultimate issues. Yeah, they are ultimate issues, gender issues. By the way, we got to do that. uh, Remind me, we got to show Dr. Rand Paul talking to the designee to head the department of the – Department of Education. We'll do that in the next hour. Rand Paul ate his Wheaties and ate this man's lunch. Um, open line Friday, 602-508-0960. I also want to talk to you about what's going on in um, higher education in a few moments. But uh, anything you want to do, uh, politics, <laughs> anything. Uh, Bill, you have, uh, it was just dawning on me today as, as as from time to time, you will show me quotes of things that you think are of interest. You listen to the Bill Bennett podcast, for example, and tell me about things from there. How long did it take you to catch you up to speed on the things that interest me? And what, what, did, what did you get 
from me that you like the most that you seized on? Because you, you, you'll admit, until you and I started working together, I think I introduced you to a bunch of new things, didn't I? Boy, I'm almost going to sound like Yogi Berra here where um, about half of the things I learned from you I can try to recite. But the other 90 percent, I don't even know that I know them. That's very funny. The other 90 – half I can recite, the other 90 percent. By the way, we should update the audience on our uh, – we did have – we did go through with the push-up competition. We didn't talk a lot about it because we aren't braggarts around here. We're, but we're about to. It's not bragging if it's true. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. That's right. So Bill and I have now gone through two push-up contests that were inspired by um, – that were requested by a fellow colleague here, Mark. He drew first blood, not us. He wanted to do the first one, and we didn't want to do a second one, but he pushed it. We won the first one by a lot, the team you and I were on. And guess what? Today was the last day of the second one, and we won that too. We're still undefeated. We are still undefeated, and Mark has now lost twice. Maybe he won't ask for a third time. Two out of three ain't bad. What was our final number, Bill? Uh, 2,436. Over over how much time? Over almost a month. We did over 2,000 push-ups in over a month. It's two days for Herschel Walker. Two days for Herschel Walker. Well done. Does that take us to the end of the hour? It does, I think. We'll be right back. Open your show, anything you want to talk about. Trumpet, politics, pro wrestling from the 80s, Sasquatch politics, First Amendment, Constitution, Federalist Papers, Education, Coronavirus. What am I missing? Football. I'm missing football. I'm told there's a weekend where there's going to be a big sports game on Sunday. I wouldn't say we're missing it, Seth. Okay. We'll be right back.